This game is unlike any other. That's what it says. All the characters are fictitious. Even the victim is imagined. It's like a stage play. The scene opens in Mr. Body's palatial mansion. Mr. Body is the victim of foul play and is found in one of the rooms. The object of the game is to discover the answer to these three questions. Who, where, and how? What game is it? What am I talking about? The game of Clue. That is correct. The game of Clue. How many of you have played that board game in the past? Wow, most everybody here. That's right. The object of the game is to find the mystery murder clue. Today we're going to do a whodunit. What is a whodunit? A whodunit, by definition, is a novel, a play, a story, a movie about a murder where you don't know who committed the murder until the very end. That's a whodunit. Okay? The evidence will point not only to who did it, but how and where and why. Now, if we were actually selected for jury duty in a real trial, how many of you have ever served on jury duty? Wow. Okay. Wow. I'm impressed. Good. Did you like it? Yes. It's very interesting anyway, right? But if we were selected for a jury in a real trial, we would be asked if we had already made up our mind before the case was laid out. We would be required to vow that we would be open-minded, that we would be fair about all this, that we would be drawing our conclusions from the facts alone, not from our personal preferences, not from what we thought about the case. Just look at the facts. We would be urged to consider the testimonies of the witnesses, and then we would be asked to use your common sense and logic to come to a conclusion based on the facts. It's the responsibility of the jurors to reach a verdict. Now I'm asking you to do the same thing as you listen this morning for just a few minutes. I hope that you will take this seriously because I believe eternity hangs in the balance depending on the decision we make on the facts. Fair enough? So let's look at some murder evidence this morning and see if we can come to our own conclusion. So let's tell the story. What's happening? This is a true story that happened back in the Middle East some years ago. A man was tried by the Supreme Court of the land and convicted of a serious crime against the state. The sentence was death. Capital punishment in that culture was carried out publicly and swiftly. His execution was done at the hands of experts who knew what they were doing. Some say it was murder. Others say this guy had it coming all along. But the bottom line is he was certifiably, undeniably dead. There's only one small problem. No one knows where his body is. His body is missing. Now, no one seems to have many answers. So what I want you to do this morning is put on your CSI jacket and let's look at the facts. All right. Let's look at the facts, just the facts of what's going on here. Some possibilities. We've got a murder. We've got an execution. We've got a missing body. Now, we have to put these two things together. Where is the body? What happened to it? Some would say this. Jesus never died. Jesus never died. That's why there's no body. Makes sense, doesn't it? If he never actually died, then there wouldn't be a dead body because he would live on after that. Hmm. The argument goes like this. Jesus faked his death and was revived then by the cool air of the tomb and then reappeared saying, I'm alive, I'm alive. Okay, let's think about this one just for a moment. Look at what he went through. 
The agony of the betrayal of those he cared about, the arrest, the mock trial, the beating, the scourging, as we saw Friday night, which killed many, just that piece of it, the piercing of the nails, the spear in his side, no food or drink or medical attention for three days. Then he rolls away a huge stone. He overpowers a garrison of guards. He appears healthy and radiant, walks seven miles to Emmaus and tells everybody, I'm alive. Huh. Save it for Hollywood, okay? Save it for the movies. Not going to happen. This view, fortunately, has now become obsolete. Not many people hold to this view anymore. Noted scholar Wilbur Smith wrote, let it simply be said that we know more about the details of the hours immediately before and after the actual death of Jesus than we know about the death of any other man in all the ancient world. Hmm. So, Let's disregard that. Let's set that aside just for a moment. Let's look in a different direction. Could it be that Jesus' body was stolen? We don't have a body. What happened to his body? Maybe the disciples stole it and then proclaimed that he was risen from the dead when all along they took his dead body and made this rather bizarre claim. So let's think about this for a moment. Here's what the Word of God says. I'm reading to you from Matthew. 27. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember that the deceiver, that's Jesus, once said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent, prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at the first. Pilate replied, "I ah, take your guards, secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. So that was the buzz in Jerusalem at that time. Now, think about this. Consider all the precautions to make sure this didn't happen, right? This was ahead of the curve. So they put the seal on. We could talk about that. We had the stone rolled in front. We have all the security guards out front with all our high-tech stuff. And nothing, nothing's going to happen here, right? So the religious authorities really had a nightmare on their hands. Guards were posted to make sure this didn't happen. And those guards faced death for sleeping on duty. They were in a bit of hot water. So they had to make something up. Notice the guards' testimony was never questioned. These are the verses just before that. Some of the guards went into the city, this is after the resurrection, and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. Hmm, sounds like good religious people, doesn't it? Hmm, good. So they did what any corrupt religious leader would do. Hey, give them some money, and the problem will go away. Right? We'll fix this right now. So, Scripture goes on. They told the soldiers, you got to say this. Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, for which you would have been killed, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in any trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. This story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Maybe Jesus' disciples stole the body. He never really was raised from the dead. His body was stolen. Hmm. Disciples stole the body. Think about this just for a moment. Hmm. Good plan. Good plan, guys. Right? Good plan. You just ran away, scared to death. And now you're going to break in and steal the body. There's only one small problem here. The disciples were all cowards. They were all cowards. 
perhaps the most convincing fact in my mind for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is that history records that every one of the disciples, except for John, died a martyr's death. Would they die for a lie? Let me ask you this. Would you be executed, tortured, and be killed for a lie? Would you do that? I don't think any of us would. We're not going to die for a lie. Absolutely not. But that's what happened to the disciples. In my mind, as I wrestled through this issue, this was powerful evidence for the resurrection. These guys were chickens. They all ran away. Hmm. Hmm. Would they have died for a lie? No way. So what do we do with this then? Well, let's go to somebody really smart. His name's Albert Einstein. You know what Albert said? If the facts don't fit the theory, change the facts. Uh, and that's the way we live our lives, don't we? If the facts don't fit, change the facts. Change the facts. We can't change the facts. The empty tomb has got to be explained somehow. I cannot fathom Jesus' disciples breaking in, doing all that stuff to steal the body. Mm-mm. Well, others have suggested the people at the tomb were hallucinating. Now, this comes from more of a psychological perspective. Mass hysteria causes visions. Others pick up on it and it becomes kind of contagious and everybody thinks they're seeing something. But that means that Mary Magdalene, the women returning from the tomb, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the apostles with and without Thomas, the seven by the lake of Tiberias, more than 500 believers in Galilee, James the 11, the group gathered as Jesus was taken back up into heaven, Paul, Stephen, John and the Alan Patmos, and many others at different times were all hallucinating. Huh. Let me think about that for just a minute. Over decades, all these people were hallucinating that claimed to see Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus appeared for 40 days with many convincing proofs that he was alive. He wasn't hiding it. He was showing everybody. Okay, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do? We have a missing body. Now, I realize for most, I'm preaching to the choir here. But think through this. Think through this with me. Hmm. Maybe the body of Jesus was lost because everybody went to the wrong tomb. That's thrown out there. Maybe they went to, and all the confusion, all the hysteria following the death of Jesus, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. But that meant that the women, the disciples, the Romans, the Jews, the angels, Joseph, who happened to own the tomb, by the way, all went to the wrong place. Now, Jerusalem's not that big. I have a hard time with that one. Okay, so let me put it plainly. No one who has seriously studied the facts can deny the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is why we meet Sunday to Sunday. Just ask Lee Strobel, former legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, who journeyed from atheism all the way to incredible faith. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ. If you want further reading, pick up a copy of that. Here's a man's journey looking just at the facts as a newspaper reporter par excellence and what that did is he examined the facts of the resurrection well where is jesus body uh the tomb is empty and i believe he is risen oh you're close some of you lagged just a bit okay caught you off guard he's risen okay hey you're with me you're with me good good the tomb is empty now i'm a show me kind of guy and I put my career, my future, 
my life into one single fact. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Yes, he is. Here's the fact that I've based my life on. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15. It's called the charisma, the essence, the proclamation of the good news. I passed on to you, Paul wrote, what was most important and what also has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. My faith, as I wrestled with this, is based on fact. I was not raised in the church I did not have much contact at all with others who call themselves Christians. Now, hear me out. I don't need, I don't want a religion that requires me to check my brain at the door on the way in. I have no tolerance for any kind of faith that requires you to put your brain into neutral. I have no tolerance for some emotional, religious, spiritual experience. My brain, the last time I checked, is still here, still on top of my shoulders. It still works, not quite as well, but it does. It does. And I have made a decision based solely on that fact that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. This is what separates us from everyone else. Now, Dr. Simon Greenleaf was a royal professor of law and declared to be the greatest authority on legal evidence that ever lived. Now, Greenleaf sought out the truth about the resurrection. Here's what he wrote in conclusion to his research. Understand, the greatest authority on legal evidence that ever lived. Here's what he said. In any unbiased courtroom in the world, if the resurrection of Christ were presented, it would be adjudged to be an absolute historical Fact. Wow. Wow. Not only is the resurrection anchored in history, it's the center of Christianity. It is the heartbeat of everything that we believe. Without it, we have no faith. Here's what Paul wrote in the teaching passage of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say there is no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors, and everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God if there's no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. And if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. And I would say amen to that. What in the world did you get out of bed for this morning? Why would you come to church? Why would you play a game? Why would you be here? Why would anybody around the world worship in a church today? Worship with other believers today. But the truth is, Christ has been raised up, and I believe he is risen. Okay. Now, the resurrection has got stamp of approval of all that Jesus claimed. What did Jesus claim to be? He claimed to be God. You think that's a pretty bold claim? People today claim to be God. Is that true? Yeah. We'd say, that's weird. You're weird. You're insane. But the resurrection is God's stamp of approval of all that he claimed to be. The resurrection validates all that he promised 
for us as well. What did he promise us? Purpose, meaning, peace, joy, hope, life, freedom, forgiveness, love, so much more. He's promised all of this if we would but follow him. It also then leaves us with a choice. Cambridge professor and author C.S. Lewis put it very succinctly, and I come back to this every time it's Easter, every time of the year, this time of the year. He is either, Lewis wrote, a liar. Why is he a liar? You can only put him in one of these three categories. He's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. Why would he be a liar? Okay, why else? He claimed to be God. Exactly. He lied. He really wasn't God if the resurrection never happened. Or he's a lunatic. That one makes pretty good sense, doesn't it? Here's a guy out of his mind, some kind of spiritual weirdo, right? Claiming to be God on the earth. So he's either a liar or a lunatic. The only category left is what? What does that mean? That, that's a fact. But what does he mean that he's your Lord? What does that mean? He's our father? What else? Okay. Good. We're just getting you thinking a little bit. It's getting you thinking just a little bit here. Now, we celebrate this morning Jesus Christ, the giver of life. Yet from that very day of that historic, earth-changing, life-changing event, people have attempted to fill that empty tomb with their emptier schemes. Hmm. The fact of the matter is this. In Palestine 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus lived and died. That's historical fact. He was buried and his body is missing. The resurrection happened just as sure as you are seated there and I am standing here. I bet my life on it. The tomb is empty. He is risen. Okay. This is no unsolved cold case murder mystery. Look into the tomb of the great religious leaders and you will find dust. Confucius, Buddha, Mohammed, all dust. But the fourth tomb is empty it is empty the evidence speaks for him for itself now if we examine the evidence what does that have to do with us jesus spoke with a friend of his and said this i am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this i ask you do you believe this now i'm not asking if your mom believed it if your neighbor believed it if your weird uncle believed it i'm not asking that I'm not asking that at all. I'm asking you, do you believe that man died on the cross, was raised from the tomb, and that he now lives? That is a question you have to answer for yourself. No one else can answer that question for you. It can't be ignored. You can't reason the empty tomb away. You can't take that piece of lumber that suspends the greatest claim in history, the Son of God going to the cross, paying the price for us. A crucified carpenter claimed to be God on earth. Who is he? And where is he? The empty tomb becomes the cradle of Christianity. What will you do with the mystery of the empty tomb? If the account is true, it's history's hinge. If it's untrue, it's history's greatest hoax, and you've all been duped. I've made my choice. I stand with Jesus that the tomb is empty. How about you? What's your choice? What's your choice? In the case of Christ, we're missing a body. You've heard the evidence. What's your conclusion? If you agree that the mystery is solved, that he is risen, 
that he is who he says he is. We've got to put the feet of faith to that fact in order to make it our own. It's not enough just to know the facts. So how do we place our trust in him? I'm so glad that you asked. This is completely spontaneous and unplanned. Okay, but here we go. Don Gandy, I'm going to use you. Come on up here. Don knows nothing about this. Caleb Carpenter, where are you? I think Caleb is probably one of the most studly guys that we have. Okay, I need a stud. Come on down. Don, I... Now, I'm not diminishing anything about Don when I say this. Okay. Okay, good. We're good. You guys just stand here look really awkward because you have no idea what's going to happen. Okay. I need one other person. Let's go from this section. I need... Okay. Miko's doing the right thing. As soon as I come over here, her head goes down. Do not make eye contact with him. That is an incredibly dangerous thing to do. All right? Huh. Huh. You're volunteering your husband? Okay, Ernest, come on up. Kara, I will get you back for this. You understand this. Okay. Okay, three good-looking guys, right? So how do we put... our feet of faith to this fact. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Don, you're going to stand over here. Okay, Don, in our little story here, is God. They're laughing. You're older and wiser? How many of you picture God looking like this? (laughs) Other than your wife. (laughs) Okay, so you're God, okay? You're God the Father, okay? Good. You are Jesus. Take a seat, Jesus. Okay, you are humanity. Can you say hi to humanity? Okay, come on over here. Okay, humanity once walked closely with God. His name was Adam, and he had a wife named what did Adam do? What sin? Okay, I, I'm not asking what he did. I'm saying what is sin? Separation from God. Okay, falling short, right? Falling short. So these two that once walked in close fellowship now have their fellowship broken because of sin. Okay, so humanity gets separated. Where does humanity go according to the account? Out of the garden, right? Bye-bye, humanity. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay. Humanity's over here, right? Okay. Humanity sees God and says, I want to get back in a right relationship with God. Now, because Adam sinned, who sinned? Yes, because one man sinned, everyone did. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you sinned. Go, Go ahead and tell him. Uh, beyond that, you're a sinner. And God loves you, and I'm working on it. Okay? Good. All right. So, humanity says, I got to get back to God. I got to get back to God. But God is holy and totally other. God can't look on sin. 
So we got a problem here. Humanity's way over there. God is way over here. How do we get back to God? How does humanity get back to God? Ah, you guys. Uh -uh. What does humanity do to try to get back to God? Tries good works. I'm going to try as hard as I can. So, Caleb, what I want you to do, because you're so studly, there's a chasm between God and man. Okay? So, Caleb, I want you to run as fast as you can. And from this... No, you're too studly. From this line, from this line... God, can you move over, please? I always use my manner with God. Okay, thank you, God. Okay, now, what I want you to do, you cannot jump from any further here than this point. I want you to get back to God by jumping at him, okay? You, 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 you are so desperate to get back to God, you are just going to throw yourself at him, okay? So, how many of you think humanity is going to make it? I don't know. He's, he's pretty studly. Okay. Okay, humanity, give it your best shot. This line. Not this one. Okay, this one. Wow. That was pretty good. Okay, wait. One more try because it was just so cool. Oh! Was he close? Good try, humanity. You just went down. <laughs> ah, you're still stuck over here. Uh, hey, God. We want to get back to you. So what does humanity do to try to get back to God? Good works. What is good works called? It starts with an R. It's called religion. It's called religion. Religion is man's attempt to get back to God. We do all kinds of religious stuff. We try to be good. We try to act good. We try to talk good. We try to do the right things. All of that is religious stuff. And all of your religious stuff, all of your righteousness is like what to God? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. It means nothing to him. I don't care how far humanity gets. He's not going to make it. We're not going to make it back to God. But God is so loving. For God so loved the world, he looked upon humanity and said, what did he say? I love you. I love you, yes. But you can't come to me. So God in his love did what? He sent his son. He sent his son. Jesus, come here. Okay, so God the Father and God the Son together make their move and head toward humanity. Even though we're religious and trying to get to him and never can, God sent his son. So God, hang on to the son. You're sending him. Now, son, come on. Come on, grab humanity. Pull him to you. Okay, now give him a hug because you love him. You see, this story is so simple, and yet it's based upon the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Let's review this very quickly. Could humanity ever get back to God? Have every one of us been separated from God? And I can assure you there's some people in this room right now that are separated from the love of God. 
And you've come to church this morning to come to an Easter service, but God has different plans for you. He wants you to come to himself and know the love that he's provided through Jesus, his son. You can't do it. You can't get back to God. It's impossible. God has come to us. He sent his son. His son died on the cross on our behalf. He was raised from the dead as proof that he is the perfect sacrifice that meets God's satisfaction. That now humanity can again be embraced by the love of God that it is so long to have. But it takes an act of faith for that to happen in each of our hearts. Have you made that decision for Jesus? Have you said, I quit trying to get back to God? I realize there's something bigger than me out there. I've got this hole in my soul. I'm trying to fill it with everything, everything else, but I'm empty on the inside. How am I going to fill this hole in my soul? And I'm desperate. I am desperate. My life has to change. That was me once. Was that you once? How about you? And you? Yeah. We need Jesus. And so God the Father loves humanity so much that he sent his son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have what everlasting life is that your story this morning based on the fact are you sticking to that story you're going to live that story tomorrow let's give our actors a hand this morning I'd like us to take just a moment before we close and let this kind of just sink in, if we might. An important moment for us to consider. Who is Jesus? What has he done for me? And how will I respond? I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or check a card. Because this is a moment between you and God. It's intimate, it's personal, it's eternal. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity of knowing how much God loves you and what he's done so that we might have eternal life with him. The forgiveness of our sin, the conquering of death, all that Jesus said, all that we've been singing about, that can be your portion and what a difference it makes in life. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are awestruck again by the fact that you have made a way for us to know you. And way beyond an intellectual exercise, way beyond the fact of the resurrection is the reality of the resurrection and the fact that the risen Christ is here right now. Right here, right now. And his arms are open, his embrace waiting, the nail-scarred hands longing, longing to embrace. Father, I'm praying for all of us, but I'm praying for that one individual just now who feels so alone 
and isolated and separated from the love of God. Might that heart be open to Jesus right in this moment? Jesus, come into that heart. Fill that hole in the soul. Come now with your forgiveness, with your joy, with your peace. Holy Spirit of God, be made new and make that person a new creation in Jesus as they reach out to you by faith, even wordlessly, just acknowledging that you are the Son of God. Father, rescue your people. The time is short. The time is now. Come, Lord Jesus, we welcome you here. And for those of us that know you, might we open our hearts again to you and the plan that you have for us. Bring us back to our first love, back to that moment 32 years ago on that Easter Sunday when my life changed. Back to that moment when each of our lives changed and we knew that we knew Jesus is alive and he's real. Oh God, oh God, have your way in us. Thank you for what you've done for us and might every one of us receive the love of God through Jesus Christ, his son, because of what he has done. And we'll thank you together in Jesus' name. And together all God's people said, amen.